0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Welcome to Four Your Benefit presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Good morning and welcome to the February 3rd, 2020 Four Your Benefit radio show. We're here today to welcome Brian Kurz. Brian is a certified financial planner. He's been on the show a fair number of times before, fellow seminar presenter, uh, financial planner, but I'm gonna let uh, him talk more and he'll show you what he does. So we're gonna talk about different things, but do you want to lead off on traditional versus Roth, or do you want to push that back?
0: Uh, yeah, we can lead off with that. That's okay. good.
1: All righty, so I don't know how many people still get uh, a tax-deductible traditional IRA. Again, mid-career, later mid-career, their income might be Mm -hmm. uh, too much to get the tax deduction. But tax deductions are one thing, but economic
0: substance is much better, isn't it? So lead us through that maze. (laughs) Sure. Well, yeah, one of the big decisions for uh, traditional versus Roth is, well, we first have to look at can we be making a contribution in the first place? So you know, as Bob just mentioned, we are going to have income limits. Uh, we're going to have lower income limits if we want to make a deductible IRA contribution. Uh, we have a little bit higher limits for Roth, but if we're making above those, we can't put money in a Roth IRA period. Uh, I will get people that have retired, don't have any earned income, and they say, you know, I think it's time to get some money in my IRA. I want to put 20 grand in my Roth account this year. How do I do that? I say, well, you know, we can't. If you go get a part-time job, uh, we can do 100% of your income up to the 6000 limit with the $1,000 catch up uh, But other than that, you know, we're, we're not able to make this contribution. So that's, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind in the first place is can we?
1: Uh, okay. Can, now, let's say that an individual is working and they're married. But the spouse doesn't work. I, I think that because they're married to somebody that has earned income, they can piggyback on that. Am I right with you that? You
0: can piggyback on it. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So as long as your spouse has has income and you're filing jointly, then you're going to be able to make that contribution as well. So that definitely is something for uh, non-working spouses to, to look at taking advantage of.
1: Okay, isn't that a horrible term, non-working spouse? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that's how they define it. But yeah, I'm sure they're doing a lot, but it's in terms of earned income, they're not.
1: Alrighty, then then the you know, we could spend probably two shows on do a do a Roth or a do a do a traditional. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you how do you guide somebody through that decision making process?
0: Yep. Well, again, that's you know we talked about the IRA side, but within the TSP. That is probably the number one question that I get. You know, since 2012, we now have this Roth TSP available. And first question out of the gate, well, you know, which one's better? Which one should I be putting my money into? Uh, There's a few things that we want to think about. Number one is what is my tax bracket now? And then what is my best guess what my tax bracket's going to be when I pull this money out in retirement? And I say best guess because we don't know where our tax rates are going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now. Uh, so that's definitely tough to say. Uh, but I do want to look at my earned income. I'm probably going to assume that brackets are similar. Maybe I want to assume they're going to be a little higher or lower. Uh, but I want to gauge where my income is now versus where it's going to be and use that as a guideline for my decision. Okay. And earned income, uh you know, I'm on the tax side of life.
1: And, and I said, well, you, you don't have earned income. You go, yes, I worked 30 years. I worked 35 years. i worked 40, I worked 25. And during that period of time I had a W two. And so I earned that money that was in, invested. Uh, can I add new money to it? The answer is no, cause you don't have earned income or
0: you're not married to somebody who has earned income. Right? Exactly. So no, we're only looking at this year's earned income. Uh, which is all the more reason that when you have it, you need to consider putting some into your TSP or IRA uh, or even both um, because we're not going to be able to go back and make up for it once there is no earned income.
1: Right. And year-end, a number of people choose to go out 31 December, one two three January, and they retire then in the next calendar year. But they might have earned income in the sense that they had their accumulated leave distribution and that was going to come on a W-2. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't work but one or two days of that, but they had the earned income that they did earn. It just was paid in a different year. Yeah. 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 And then that's it. And then they have to actually go to work in the next year if, if they want to
0: continue on that path. Exactly. So, I mean, if I see people and they're at that stage where they're retiring or they do do some part-time work afterwards, putting some money in an IRA is definitely a good idea. Uh, and then absolutely, while we are still working, you know, the TSP is going to be where we go first and foremost. Uh, some people ask, you know, well, should I be putting money in my TSP or should I just put it into a Roth IRA since I can? Uh, I definitely want to put my retirement contributions into my TSP first. I'm getting uh, matched on that first five percent. When I put five percent in my TSP, I'm doubling my money overnight. If I'm a FERS employee getting the one percent automatic and the extra four percent on top, uh, there's no Roth investment out there where I'm guaranteed that I'm going to double my money overnight. So first and foremost, I want five percent every paycheck going into my TSP. From there, doesn't mean we have to stop. You know, we can put in up to nineteen five. Uh, nineteen thousand five hundred plus an additional sixty five hundred catch up for twenty six thousand total. If I'm fifty or older, uh, I can increase all the way up to the max from there. If I'm under the income limits and I want to consider putting money in a Roth, then I can. Uh, but I still want to put that first five percent in my TSP. Uh, after that, it really just comes down to investment options. You know, do I like the TSP? Do I want to keep it simple and just have everything going in there? or would I rather branch out and have some other investment choices in a Roth IRA?
1: Okay. The dollar magnitudes you just mentioned, they were substantial and depending mm-hmm. on one's financial positions, one's um, stage of uh, their career, uh, the amount that somebody can put in at max might be very high relative to their situation. It might be new marriage, kids, education, etc. Um, but sometimes they don't even put their foot in the water. So again, I don't know your world but I do know this. I'd say but well, to put one percent in and then once you get that,
0: then talk to a financial planner or talk to the financial planner tomorrow. I really want to put the full five percent in. Um, when I go through seminars and I'm talking about you know there's there's not a lot of uh, you know magic formulas that I'm going to throw at you and say this is how you're going to get rich quick or anything like that. But there's a couple strategies that we really want to take advantage of and not uh, leaving any of my 5% matches on uh, is one of those areas where, again, I'm getting that full uh, matching contribution. I go back to the cash flow. And I have someone and maybe we're still dealing with some student loan debt or other liabilities, cash flows tight. Uh, I want to go back and let's, let's see what tweaking we can do in order to get 5% going in that CSP because it's one of the best things that we can do uh, for our retirement.
1: Okay, brag a little bit about maybe somebody was reluctant or, or they just didn't have the uh, feeling that they could part with even 1% or 2%, but you persuaded them, not in, in a nasty way, but the best time to do it is now rather than, oh, I'll, I'll do
0: it in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two parts. One is showing the benefit. Again, if I, if I want to double my money, sometimes people ask that. You know, If I want to double my money over the next 10 years, what do I need to earn? Well, I need to be earning 7.2% compounded. That's a pretty good rate of return. That's probably a stock-based portfolio that's done well. So if all that goes right, then I'm going to double my money in 10 years. And again, I just come back to when I'm putting 5% in my TSP, I'm doubling my money overnight. So I'm getting 10 years of positive stock gains just by making that initial contribution. And then the second part of that is, well, I just don't have the money available again, let's look at the cash flow. Let's go through a budget. Let's figure out where your money's going. Uh, Let's figure out what can be adjusted or tweaked or changed uh, because there's not too many places that we can be putting our money that's going to be better than that. Uh, So I said, whether it's revising uh, debt that we have payments on it, something along those lines usually makes sense to get to that 5% when we're looking at the long-term impact.
1: And uh, do you ever have to kind of do it in steps? Uh, okay, let's do mm-hmm. 2% or 3% and
0: then... Yeah. yeah, the goal is 5%, but even if we're just going, you know, from 0 to 2 or 2 to 3, uh, any change is is positive for the better. Uh, now, you know, you're hearing I'm, I'm a financial advisor coming in saying, well, you got to put 5% in. And, you know, for some people that is, that's easier said than done. Uh, so it does take some work from there. We don't necessarily have to keep increasing it. Where I do come across the other side of things, where I'll meet someone, they are close to or maxing out their TSP. And I say, well, what do we have in our emergency fund? What's in our non-retirement investments? And, well, there's $600 there. And, you know, my mortgage for two grand is due next week. Uh, So there's the flip side as well, where some people are just ingrained. I've got to put every dime into my TSP, and they don't set themselves up for covering any other scenarios. So there are scenarios where I say, you know what, why don't, we, why don't we scale back from 14% to 12% or down to 10 et cetera, uh, and let's build up you know, that three- to six-month emergency reserve. Let's make sure we're covered if you've got some medical bills or anything else happens that uh, we need some extra money so that we're not having to go in and do a loan or charge up credit cards or things of that nature. Uh, so there is a happy medium. You know, we love the tax advantages long term in a TSP. I love, as you hear, getting that match on that first 5%, but then from there, a lot of it comes back to a healthy balance, making sure we're covering ourselves now and taking advantages of these long-term benefits.
1: All right. When uh, you work with a client, uh, be they young, mid mid, or later on, you're setting out just like you said, we're going to set up these parameters, what you're going to put in. This is what it's going to hopefully do for you over a period of time, given different Rates of return, you can't say everything's going to be 5 or 8% and then mm-hmm. say this is it. Um, when when they hear that, they, they probably will say, okay, that's why I came here, but let's put our toe in the water. Um, do you find once, assuming a normal market, maybe not too crazy high, Maybe again normal. Let's hope that it's not real down. We've been fortunate that way. Yeah. Uh, do they do they have the aha moment? I don't know why I didn't do this before.
0: Yeah, definitely. A lot of those come from uh, someone that you know put their money in, went into the G fund, eight years go by, ten years go by, twelve years go by, and you know what? Maybe I should consider some of these other investment options. They seem to be going up by more. Uh, time horizon and risk tolerance are gonna determine how we should be invested. Uh, risk tolerance is a little subjective. You know, when I'm showing someone portfolio A might go up twenty percent or down ten, you know, versus portfolio B could go up 10% or down five. Which one do you like better? Uh, that's mm-hmm. you know, that that could be a different answer today than it is after the market drops next week or you know, or something along those lines. Uh, whereas time horizon is for our retirement plan, TSP. Uh, we usually have a pretty good idea of that. You know, one of the first questions in seminars I ask is, "Well, what's you know, how far out are we from retirement? Five years or less, ten years?" And everyone's got a pretty good idea. Now that might wind up changing, but we know roughly how long we're going to be investing this money for. Uh, and then from there, you know, when we retire, hopefully we're not tapping into the whole TSP in year one. Hopefully we're spreading that out and taking it out over our lifetime. So that time horizon, in my opinion, is really key. I can have someone in their twenties, thirties, and you know, even if they're pretty conservative, still likely makes sense for them to gain access to some stock exposure because it doesn't matter uh, that much what the TSP is worth next week or even next year. What matters is what is it worth when I need it? Yeah, 59 and a half or 55 or 70 or 72 or whenever it may be. What is it worth then? Uh, so that's key. So I'll have young investors that maybe should consider being more aggressive. I'll have the people that are going into retirement and they've done really well in stocks and they say, I don't want to scale this back, Uh, but they're going to start pulling money out. And the fact is, if they're pulling money out to spend it and we see a big market drop, well, that money that they're pulling out, that never has a chance to recover. So we go through a 2008 scenario. Well, it bounces back in 2009, 2010. But if the money's spent, then it doesn't matter. So the time horizon is really important when we're figuring out what that allocation should be.
1: And when you when you work with anybody, uh, when the market um, takes a hiccup, uh, they're very happy when it's going up. And when it takes a hiccup, do you, do you get much request to let's move some of out of the C into the G or the F? And the F might be a whole another ball game. But.
0: Yeah, um, I do get both. All right, because there's a lot of people that are uh, they're aware of some of the common mistakes. And one of the big mistakes is having a long-term time horizon and then seeing a blip on the radio, excuse me, a blip on the market and wanting to pull everything out and move it over into a fixed account. Um, Sometimes we've reassessed our risk tolerance. Maybe we weren't so comfortable after all. That's really the only or the primary justification. You know what? I thought I was comfortable with this volatility. Turns out I'm not. So let's go ahead and rebalance to something more conservative and stay there. Uh, but if that's not the case, then I don't want to time the market. I don't want to sell when things are going down, wait till it goes back up to all-time highs, and then decide, you know what, I'm, I want to get in, and then invest back in at that point. So we need to think through our long-term time horizon and risk tolerance and stick with that allocation that, that makes sense in our scenario.
1: Okay. This is a, a great time to go to a break, and we'll listen to the sponsor of this show, WEPA, can do for our listeners.
2: You have life insurance to protect the people you love. As a civilian federal employee, you have two choices designed specifically for you, WEPA and Fegley. The big difference? Price. Chances are WEPA premiums will cost you less. In fact, the average WEPA member saves $375 per year on premiums. Prioritize your peace of mind with a life insurance policy designed for feds by feds. If you're a civilian federal employee interested in comparing WEPA to Fegley, visit WAEPA.org today. WEPA is a proud sponsor of four-year Benefit, presented by NITP, Mondays, 10.05 to 11 a.m. on Federal News Network, 1500 a.m. WEPA has been ensuring the future of federal workers for more than 75 years. See why over 46,000 feds have already switched to WEPA at WAEPA.org. Welcome back
1: to For Your Benefit. We're here today with Brian Kurse. Brian is a certified financial planner, fellow seminar presenter, and we were talking about thrift options, uh, talked a little bit about Roth, but uh, we get email questions, and let's take a look at this one. I think this is kind of somewhat spot on to what we've been talking about. Upon retirement, should I withdraw from my TSP or Roth IRA first? Secondly, My plan is having my TSP in the G fund and my Roth mostly in stocks. I will withdraw from my TSP first since it is safe, and hopefully I can let my Roth IRA continue to grow for another X number of years. In this case, it was 25 years. Does this strategy make sense? And then last piece of this, finally, when does it make sense to convert from a traditional to a Roth when most experts do not have a clue where rates are in the future. So this is, um, we've got several questions, I guess, to answer. So let's go look at the back, uh, go up to the first one. Upon retirement, should I withdraw from the TSP or Roth IRA first?
0: Yeah, definitely great questions here. I do generally recommend pulling from TSP rather than Roth first. Primary reason is going to come down to our required minimum distributions, uh, this has been 70 and a half, or was 70 and a half for anyone uh, who turned 70 and a half last year. Starting January 1, this is now going to be age 72 based on the Secure Retirement Act. Uh, but the bottom line is RMDs or required minimum distributions aren't going away. Uh, and reti- required minimum distributions are the IRS saying you have to pull money out of this account. If it's traditional TSP or IRA money, it's never been taxed before. So anything in our TSP, whether it's in the traditional or the Roth side, that goes towards our total TSP balance, and we're going to have to take RMDs or pull money from that account. Whereas my Roth IRA, I do not. I'm never going to have to pull money out of my Roth IRA if I don't want to. Uh, So maybe some scenarios, we know we're going to be withdrawing more than that required minimum, so it doesn't matter as much where we're pulling from. Uh, but there are scenarios where people are only pulling the minimum. They you know, they say, I want to keep this money invested as long as possible. Let's keep getting that tax-deferred or tax-free growth as long as possible. Uh, so in that instance, I'm going to pull out of the account I know I have to access first. So I'm going to want to pull from the TSP. Uh, the second part of this is the investment strategy you mentioned. So keeping your TSP in the G fund, which is our, our safest fixed account, uh, versus keeping the Roth IRA in stocks. Uh, Well, that makes sense as well because the money I'm going to access sooner rather than later, I want that to be more conservative. And then my longer time horizon, again, I've got time for bumps along the way. Uh, So when I'm pulling money out of my TSP and the G fund, I'm not worried about that losing money next week. Uh, So that makes sense. And then I've got my Roth IRA investment to hopefully grow at a high long-term rate and have all those earnings tax-free on the Roth side. Uh, now there is one thing that I want to be aware of. You know, let's say this money's 50/50. Uh, well, right now I've got a balanced 50/50 portfolio. Over the next 10 years, if I'm pulling everything out of my G funds, what am I left with? I'm wet left with a portfolio that's all in stocks. Uh, now I can rebalance. Maybe you take that Roth IRA account, and then as you're pulling money out of the G, you start moving some of that over into a bond investment or even a money market or something along those lines, uh, but that's something to be aware of along the way. Okay. And? So, within that, you know, as well, um, conversion, we're asking, well, when does it make sense to uh, convert from a traditional IRA to a Roth, when, as you said, most experts do not have a clue where tax rates will be? Uh, that's absolutely true. We can't know. Uh, you can have a good idea of what your tax rate looks like. So generally, while I'm still working, uh, I don't necessarily want to do a conversion. Um, The reason for that is, you know, any money that I convert from uh, an IRA to a Roth IRA or from my traditional TSP to a Roth IRA, it's going to be ordinary income for whatever I convert. So that's going to be added to anything that I'm earning right now. So that might push me into a higher tax rate. When I'm in retirement, perhaps my income's dropped, but what's my income in year two of retirement versus what is my income going to be in year 20 of retirement? So we don't know. It is a guess, but you need to look at where your income may be and then guess where tax rates could be and make a decision from there. And it is something where maybe it makes sense to do a little bit each year as a result.
1: With um, with our um, pool of employees, <clears throat> we got um... – public safety officers, we got, if you will, um, uh, wage grade, we have um, salaries and and the like, but they're all pretty much the same thing once they retire. Uh, Whatever they put away for the annuity, the annuity is going to vary with the size of one's income and years in service. Um, But it, it's paid for the rest of our life, which is nice. Now, the money in the thrift is discretionary when it comes out prior to 70 and a half. And so now we got a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle to say, all right, I'm, I want to withdraw from this first and the other one second, and I put it back. How do you help people in that regard? Uh, they might have a propensity to want to keep all the money in the thrift because it's done, uh, it's done nicely for them.
0: Yeah, a lot of it comes back to the retirement plan. Uh, looking at, well, what do we have in our FERS annuity? What do we have from Social Security? Uh, What are we going to need? And then what's the gap? Uh, And that's the big question with any retirement planning is, well, what's the gap between my income sources and my income need? Because that's the money that I'm going to have to pull out of somewhere. It's going to come from TSP. It's going to come from savings. It's going to come from the Roth. Uh, And then, again, it comes back to taxes, where my goal is to leave the money in those tax-deferred accounts as long as possible, And I know I'm going to have to pull it out of the TSP whether I want to or not once those RMDs kick in. So I might as well be pulling it from there and reducing the amount of those RMDs uh, as a result and only touching the Roth money if I have to. Because that money I can keep growing tax-free for the rest of my life and then pass to spouse or children as well. uh, And they'll have some options to continue that tax-free as well. So there's a lot of tax advantages on the back end with the Roth, which is why I'd rather not tap into that money if I don't have to. I
1: think as well, the, um, the you brought it up, there was a pretty significant change in uh, the tax law relative to taking money out of an IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, once one hits 70 and a half, but the real kicker is if, if somebody inherits that asset, again, whether it's an IRA,
0: whether it's a thrift, and the like, that money's uh, gotta come out pretty quickly. Yeah, so that's really the big change. We saw a number of changes with our, again, it's called the SECURE Act, um, which just went into law, passed in December, effective January 1. The big one, big advantage is it delays those required minimum distributions to age 72. Again, if you turn 70 and a half last year, you still have to take an RMD for last year. So it's really just effective for people that would be turning 70 and a half this year or who are younger uh, so it pushes that back to 72, which is nice. But on the backside of that, for anyone who – well, we've got a few scenarios. Your spouse uh, who can treat that IRA as their own or could still do a stretch or you know, someone who's disabled, minor child, et cetera. But for most of our other beneficiaries besides our spouse or going to kids or someone who's more than 10 years younger, they used to be able to do what's called a stretch IRA – and they could take distributions from your retirement plan over their lifetime. So they could stretch it out 30, 40 years. Now that stretch IRA has been eliminated, we have to pull all the money out within 10 years of the individual who passed away uh, for kids, et cetera. So that really changes the distribution side of things. Uh, so you're gonna have these scenarios where you know TSP might go to a spouse and go to kids uh, via an IRA uh, into an inherited IRA. And now the kids are saying, well, I've got this big TSP balance, or it was originally TSP. It's in an inherited IRA now. Uh, I've got this big balance. I have to pull all this money out within 10 years. I got to pay taxes on all this money over 10 years. Everything I pull out added to my you know, earned income now, what kind of tax rates is that going to create? So I can leave it all till the 10th year and then get a massive tax bill for everything that came out. Or what we're likely going to see is splitting that up, maybe dividing it out over the 10 years to minimize getting pushed up into higher tax rates. Uh, Well, in my opinion, this starts to make the Roth even more attractive because in the Roth, I'm not worried about any taxes. And I, again, can just leave the money as long as possible, which means I can leave it to the end of the 10th year, pull all that money out of the Roth IRA and not have any tax bill associated with it. Uh, now, there's plenty of scenarios where the money's going to get spent. It uh, doesn't matter what we have to pull out. Uh, but in larger balances and in scenarios where we're not accessing it and we're trying to maximize tax benefits, there's definitely a little advantage on the Roth side by allowing that extra accumulation without worrying about taxes.
1: So you just said something, and I had um, I had not thought of it before. So if we have the person that inherits, and mm-hmm. we're not talking about the individual, but the person that inherits it... Um, regardless of their age, if I'm not mistaken, then they they don't have to do anything. But then at the end of the 10th year, they have to do everything. They have to take everything out of it. So if it was allowed to sit there and percolate and grow, the question would be, and I don't know that there is an answer, how much would it have grown? And would we pay more or less in tax by... Uh, paying a chunk later on. I don't know the answer to and,
0: that. Well, again, it would come down to what that individual's income is and how big the balance is. Yeah. If we're talking about inheriting a $50,000 uh, IRA account, it's not going to necessarily make that big of a difference. But if we're talking about 500000 or a million, uh, well, ha- adding 500000 of taxable income in year 10, and again, if 10 years, if we grow that at 7.2%, then now we have a million dollar account you don't want to be paying taxes on a million dollars in all one year. We'd be better off splitting that up, dividing it by 10 as a result. So there's some major tax planning that's involved in that scenario versus, again, the Roth, it keeps it pretty simple. You know, We can just let it grow whatever we have at the end of year 10, pull it all out tax-free. No tax, right? Exactly. No tax. So we've got, uh, it keeps things simple and there's some tax advantages there. Uh, and again, it all comes back to the scenario and the balances. Larger balances, lots of planning involved, smaller balances, you know, we're not looking at putting ourselves in the highest tax rate uh, by pulling out ten or twenty k. so it's uh, it's not going to have as big of an impact. Uh,
1: working with your clients over the years, um, I, I don't do what you do, but invariably, there's some discussion of the finance side, but I don't advise on on finance. But people are really get wrapped around the axle about the, um, um, the mandatory distributions. That sounds horrible. It's a required minimum distribution is a softer way to say it. Um, mm-hmm. And they they don't understand why. And then after a while, it's, yeah, because they want to tax you uh, before you leave. Um, I, I don't mean to be a wise guy with that, but that's why they do it. Yeah. But have you ever had somebody just really, they didn't know it or they, didn't, they knew it, but they didn't fully appreciate and working now. You've got a set of numbers in front of them and you go, this is what it's going to cost you unless you do X, Y, or Z.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the fact of the matter is when we put that money in our traditional TSP, we weren't paying taxes on it. Then we let it grow for X number of years. Every dollar that we earn that we then reinvest, compound that money, that's all tax deferred as well. So when that money is there in retirement again it's it's never been taxed before. Your money, the earnings, the whole thing never been taxed before. So the IRS wants their cut at some point and they're you know they're going to have those required minimum distributions and our secure act is some of that as well. So it's essentially just kind of speeding up the process as far as when the taxes are paid uh, as a result.
1: Okay, the last question, and I, I, I so intently listen to you, I don't know if I've read this, but, but this is the last um, part of the question from the listener. Finally, when does it make sense to convert from a traditional to a Roth when most experts do not have a clue where tax rates will be in the future?
0: Yep, so there's kind of there's, there's really three times that we could consider doing this. So one's while we're still working. Usually that doesn't make sense. Uh, if anything, when I have someone in their prime earning years They're a few years away from retirement. They're usually making more money then than they ever have before. And we don't want to add anything to our taxable income. Uh, So it might make sense to do the traditional TSP for contributions. And we definitely don't want to be doing any conversions. Uh, The second time is the early years in retirement. Uh, That is definitely a potential window. So I retire 60, 62. Uh, Maybe I haven't started my Social Security benefits yet. I have a big income drop from when I was working to when I, uh, to now being retired. Uh, that's a good opportunity to potentially do some conversions. If my taxable income drops a lot, then I can look at doing some conversions in that window. And then if I do have a pretty big traditional TSP balance or IRA balance, I know, you know once I hit the age, now 72 for those RMDs, that my income is going to go back up. Uh, sometimes people are surprised to see how much they may wind up having. You know, we have more TSP millionaires than we've ever had before, and I'll run a projection, someone at 55 or 60, and say, well, based on these rates of return, you know, here's, here's what we might have when you have to pull money out. And all of a sudden, we thought we were going to be in this low bracket, and I look at what we're going to have to pull out of the TSP, and it puts them right back where they were before. Uh, but we have this window before we're pulling money out of the TSP, before we have to. Uh, where we can do some of these conversions, oftentimes between age 60 and 70 or 72, and that's a good window to get that money over. And then later in life, again, it really just depends where we wind up tax-wise. Maybe there's opportunities to do conversions. Maybe there isn't, but it depends on everything else.
1: Okay, I've got um, one other email came in. came in yesterday. Um, In case I missed the show, should a um, 61-year-old... Federal employee, I'm not going to say the agency, uh, with $550,000 in the TSP, consider switching to a Roth with any part
0: or with the whole part? Okay. Uh, well, a couple of ways to look at this. First off, I can't switch the 550 that's there in the TSP. There are no TSP conversions. So we can't move our traditional TSP money over to Roth TSP at 59 and a half or older as part of our uh, TSP modernization act if i wanted to do a rollover and conversion then i can i can actually go in up to 4 times a year and sweep my TSP balance over to an IRA uh, if i wanted to so if i wanted to do a conversion for some or all of that i could definitely would recommend not doing a rollover conversion for the whole 550,000 or you're going to get a tax bill for $550,000 on top of everything else that you're making this year. So that wouldn't be a good choice. Uh, Again, if I was going to do that conversion, I think I would wait until I'm retired, income drops, then look at doing it maybe in part over a certain number of years, small amount each year. Uh, But the second part of this is with future contributions, and that's definitely an option. Uh, If you have all your money in the traditional TSP now, then you could consider making new contributions into the Roth side. But again, it's going to come back to that tax bracket decision. What tax bracket am I in today? What kind of a tax discount am I getting by going in the traditional versus if I pay the taxes now and put it into the Roth, You know, how is that going to benefit me later when I would have pulled that money out? Um, so it comes back to what tax bracket you're in and what your income is and how we think that might compare to the Roth side. Um, in addition to just looking at that tax side, again, we do have this advantage that uh, the Roth IRA money doesn't have any RMDs associated with it. Uh, we don't know where the tax rates will be, so there is some advantage for diversifying a little for the unknown. Meaning, when I have someone and they've got every single penny in a taxable account, it's definitely nice to get a little over into a Roth account uh, because we are, you know, protecting ourselves if we do wind up with higher tax brackets, um, and you know. Giving ourselves a little more flexibility for distributions later.
1: Okay. I think this is a good time to uh, take a break and we'll listen to what NITP can do for the listeners. We'll come back in and uh, talk again on specifics. But I got a couple of questions that I was thinking of while you were talking. So, anyway, we'll be back in, uh, inside of a minute, I think. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial transition, and estate planning. Visit nitpinc.com. That's nitpinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Does planning for retirement seem like a daunting task? Is retirement years away? It will arrive sooner than you think. Prepare now to stay on track. Join the thousands of federal employees and retirees who have already attended National Institute of Transition Planning's free monthly webinars to learn more about retirement and financial planning. NITP is the national leader and trusted source for federal retirement information. Visit nitpinc.com to sign up for NITP's free monthly newsletter and webinar. Welcome back to For Your Benefit, February 3rd, 2020. We're here with Brian Kearse, certified financial planner, fellow seminar presenter, traditional versus Roth, differences between the two, pros and cons of each, uh, considerations for investing, we cover a lot of territory. Uh, one of the things that maybe somebody's listening, we talked about Roth conversions, but is there a time where, an individual that's say X years of age, let's say that that individual is 60 or 65 or 70, maybe don't go too much uh, beyond 70, where they might not want to do
0: it because of the upfront tax. There can be, it isn't a specific age per se, but it's going to again, come back to income. Uh, There's two parts of this. There's the contribution side and the conversion side. Uh, So let's go through the contribution side first. Meaning I'm, you know, I'm, I'm discussing today a lot of benefits of the Roth, things that maybe the traditional doesn't have. We're avoiding RMDs if we have, if we have a beneficiary, et cetera. So sometimes I'm going through a seminar and uh, discussing all this and everyone says, well, the Roth sounds like a no brainer. And then I come back to, well, this is a pre-retirement course and we're three years away. And it comes back to, well, yes, these are all the benefits of the Roth. But the bottom line is you're still making more money today, most of you, than you ever have before and that you ever will in the future outside of these couple remaining years. So the bottom line is despite all of that, it still makes more sense to just take the deduction now. It's still better to get that deduction now when I'm in my prime earning years and my income is never going to be higher uh, than to have it later in retirement where my income is going to be less, even adding up those. Uh, different income sources. So in that scenario, it doesn't mean they can't do it, but math-wise, unless we're really estimating our tax brackets changing a lot for, for to higher amounts, it's going to make sense for them to just take the deductible contribution. So bottom line is early career, Roth definitely makes sense. We're optimistic. We're thinking my tax bracket's going to be the same or higher in retirement. Later I get, and I'm thinking my tax bracket's less, Probably makes sense just to go with the traditional TSP at that point um, from, from a number standpoint. Uh, so that's the first side of things. The second is the conversion. Uh, and I would kind of say along the same lines, it doesn't make sense to do a conversion when you're going to pay higher taxes now than you likely would later. So while we're working as one of them, again, when I'm in those prime earning years, I don't want to be doing conversions right then. Because I'm just adding in the dollar amount of the conversion. I'm adding that into what I'm making already the sweet spot, as I went through a little earlier, is once I've retired. All that income drops off. I drop down to my first annuity. Maybe I have Social Security. Maybe I don't. But that's it. So I see a big drop in my income. Perhaps I see a drop in my tax bracket as a result. Now I have this window. I have this window early in retirement where I can convert money. Again, not the whole thing, but maybe I'm looking at, oh, there's There's 30 grand before I would push into the next tax bracket. So I'm gonna convert 30 grand. And that way I'm only paying taxes at this rate for the whole thing. Uh, So that's a good time to consider it. And then once I hit those required minimum distributions, I'm pulling a lot of money out of my TSP. Maybe those taxes go back up and I've kind of lost my ability to do it. Um, Sometimes we're in the highest bracket and it doesn't matter what we do, we're gonna (laughs) be there. I'll definitely have clients that say, you know, we want to leave some money to our kids tax-free. Um, so there's not necessarily a tax advantage. They just much prefer to, to have let children have this as a tax-free asset. Uh, so they'll look at conversions in that situation as well. Uh, and I definitely think there's some merit to that. Uh, but again, at the end of the day, there's no magic number age-wise. It all comes down to tax bracket now versus my perceived tax bracket later. And as we talked about, we can't know for sure what that's going to be, but we may have opinions on it. And the shorter the time frame, the more likely it is that they're not going to be dramatically different from where they are today.
1: You just said something and and a question popped up. Um, Talking later in a career, individual individuals wanted to pass along something to their kids. Um, Now, if they were to pass along something now, could they buy an annuity now with them as a, I mean, you look at me like you just said a bad
0: word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no annuities. Uh, I mean, we have annuities in all shapes and sizes. So sometimes people do hear annuities and they think bad, but I mean, our first annuity is great. Who doesn't want a paycheck for the rest of their life? So annuities are not necessarily bad things. Uh, I think our, our private annuities um, they come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. You know, they can be, it can be a TSP annuity that you purchase with 3500 or more from your balance. And what we're basically doing is we're saying here, you know, take my X amount from my TSP and in return, give me an additional paycheck for the rest of my life or for the rest of my life and my spouse's, et cetera. So at the end of the day, a lot of times it's, well, well is it worth it to us? You know, would we, are we okay forfeiting the af- asset in order to have this additional payment? If there's a big gap when I'm looking at the income needs and income sources, it can make sense to consider. And then you have all your variable index and fixed annuity products out there uh, that have a lot of different benefits associated with them. But I can purchase an annuity with my IRA money. I can purchase it with my non-retirement money, and it really depends on you know the situation whether it makes sense or not.
1: Okay, what um, what if you? If you were to think back at all the, you know, good questions that you uh, received and somebody then followed up, I can really do that. In other words, some things that the thrift will allow you to do aren't necessarily common knowledge, not the thrift hit it. They just, they, mm-hmm. there There is a certain segment of the group that could gravitate to that, but they might not know it's there
0: to gravitate to. Uh, one of the big ones is that if I keep my TSP open, that I can move money back. Uh, one of the big questions that I'll get is, well, once I retire, should I leave my money in the TSP or should I move it to an IRA? And like a lot of things, there's there's not a right or wrong answer. There's not one answer fits all. For the most part, it comes down to the investment options. You know, do you prefer having these, um, you know, having a few investment options that are pretty low cost, or do we prefer going to the IRA universe where I can invest in a lot more stuff? But there's a lot more. That I need to put into it to make sure I'm designing a good allocation. So there's not a right or wrong answer there. But let's say I have decided to move money over to an IRA. Well, as long as I keep a small balance in that TSP, I can always move that back. Uh, The G fund is pretty attractive as fixed accounts go. Uh, All of our other TSP funds are gonna mirror indexes. So if I wanted to design an IRA allocation with someone and just use index funds, it's gonna do pretty similar to our TSP investments. But there isn't anything in an IRA that's going to directly mirror your G fund. So if I want that safe money, G fund's a pretty good option. Uh, So if I close my TSP account, I can't move that money back. But if I keep that small balance open, I can move money over and then I can always decide that I want to move money back. Uh, So sometimes people aren't aware of that. And that's definitely an advantage to keeping the TSP open is you're you're keeping the options open for moving money back if you want to.
1: Okay. What's an index fund? So yeah, good. <laughs> Brian passion. just
0: looked at me like, huh? <laughs> so our index funds are essentially going to mirror an index. Uh, C fund is a perfect example. Our C fund and the TSP is going to mirror the S and P 500 index. Uh, the S and P 500, 500 of our mid to large size stocks. These are the companies we're we're pretty familiar with for the most part. Uh, so they're designing the C fund to mirror that index. It's not actively managed. Whatever's in the index is what we're going to have in the funds, as opposed to some actively managed mutual fund where I've got growth funds X and there's a manager or several managers and they're they're actively deciding, should we buy this company and sell this one? Maybe we'll stay with this one for a while. They're making active decisions. Uh, So your index funds, typically they're mirroring indexes. And because there is no active manager making the decisions, our fees are going to be pretty low as a result uh, TSP definitely follows suit with that. Our average, uh, expense ratios or fees are going to be about 0.04%, meaning we're going to be paying about 40 cents per thousand for the management of each one of those funds in the, uh, TSP, which is pretty good. As I said, if we're looking at an IRA investment, I definitely want to be aware of what those fees are because it's hard to do much better than 0.04%.
1: Yeah. And I think once they came, um, they came on the scene, if you will, the TSP with the low rates. Um, some of the others followed suit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's competition. I'm not saying anything bad about the the ones that had a higher rate. If, if you want to do business, then then lower. Sometimes,
0: yeah. Sometimes, interactively managed funds. The fees are justified. You know, they may be netting that out and still outperforming benchmarks. Uh, sometimes they're not. A lot of the different ETFs out there, we've seen kind of. Uh, fee reduction or consolidation across the industry, and that's all good for investors. Lower fees for investors is great. Whether it's in our TSP or in our IRA options, uh, that's just more in your account to to compound and give you the benefit of of having.
1: Okay, brag on yourself a little bit here. You probably had clients came in. You didn't know them. They were referred, or they maybe came from Eclair, or so maybe they came from wherever, and they just. They, they know how to make money. They don't always know how to spend money, but they know how to make it. But they don't understand the dy- dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get that across? Do you have like a chart? Do you tell them to read a book? Um,
0: I, <laughs> I think that would be futile. <clears throat> no, I mean, there's a several parts to it. And as an advisor, some of the most important things that we do. One is the retirement planning side of things. You know, It doesn't matter, doesn't matter how good our C-Fund does. Uh, if we are pulling much more money out in retirement than what's there, uh, we're going to run into to problems. So a lot of it does start with the planning element. You know, what am I going to have in my retirement accounts? Uh, what am I going to need to pull out every year? And if I'm pulling out 10% a year, probably going to run out of money. Uh, so as an advisor, one of the things that we help do is to make sure that people aren't retiring and putting themselves in a bad situation. So making sure that there's enough there that how much we're going to need will be provided for and that they're covered for different market environments, etc. So that's the first part. Uh, The second comes back to that asset allocation. You know, I can know that I've got some good options in my TSP, IRAs, etc. But which fund should I go into? And again, I'll I'll get that question. How should I be invested? And I'll just be a hand in the back of the room. I don't know anything about them. So I can't just say, well, every single person here should invest like this. It uh, doesn't work that way. You know, I need to know time horizon, risk tolerance, what are the scenarios where we're going to need money? And that all impacts the allocation that makes sense. You know, We want to take as little risk as we have to, uh, but we also want to achieve as much upside and gain as much of the long-term market performance as we can as well. So coming up with that correct asset allocation is big. Uh, and then the last part comes down to distribution strategies. You know, Whether it's We're looking at when we convert money or just looking at where we're pulling this money out. As we talked about earlier, TSP versus a Roth investment, Roth IRA. Uh, A lot of that comes down to the tax implications, et cetera, and just pulling money out in the correct order. Uh, And we haven't even talked about savings. You know, sometimes I've got a savings account as well. And someone's saying, well, should I be using my savings or pulling out of the TSP or both? Uh, And again, a lot of times it's going to come down to the tax implications. The more tax advantages I'm getting, uh, the less inclined I am to access the money now. So anything you know, usually I'm accessing that non-retirement money first um, to let myself keep getting those tax benefits.
1: When you talk about RMDs and you talk about people in, in retirement, is there a norm that you look at with regards to how long a male is going to live at, say, age 68? 70.
0: Um, yeah uh, <clears throat> so I know according to Social Security Administration uh, last time I checked their stats their life expectancy stats on there uh, male reaching 65 today will live to 84 and change uh, female turning 65 today would live to 86 and change uh, as I tell people going over retirement planning when you're doing a retirement plan those are not the ages that we want to look at you know I want to I want to run the retirement plan to at least 90 uh, I'm usually running them to 95 or 100. Now, and I want to know, you know, is my TSP going to run out of money, not at 85, but what if I make it to 90, 95, 100? You know, how is my assets, how are my assets going to hold up in that scenario? So it is important to look at life expectancy, but that's, that's not what you want to plan on. We you know, generally, a longer retirement is going to put more strain on the risk of running out of money. And we want to see how we can hold up in those situations.
1: Okay, and what's um, when you deal with people that really want to change um, their spending habits? What do you look to cut first?
0: <laughs> uh, good, well, it depends what they're spending their money on. Again, yeah. it does come back to the cash flow analysis, doing budgeting, and you know, creating a balance sheet uh, essentially, which we know from accounting. There's we got our inflows and our outflows. I want to look at where every dollar is going, and you know, what should we be cutting out. Or maybe we have a car payment and we we pay that car off. Well, rather than having that 300 a month just get spent on who knows what, let's immediately take that and let's channel that into our TSP or an investment account um, and keep the cash flow dynamic the same. But now that money's working for us instead of working against us. Very good. I think I've been negligent in asking you your phone number. Or did I? Uh, n- yeah, absolutely. Uh, my <laughs> number is 703 703- uh, 287 287- seven one three nine. And as we talked about, you know, do a lot of work with federal employees. One more time. 287 seven zero three two eight seven seven one three nine. Is there a website? Uh, yeah, I actually have a, a website set up under my name and uh, it's Brian Curris. So it's w dot Dot com. And it's updated with different newsletters, calculators, um, Books, videos, and different uh, retirement planning information on there.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, Andrew tells us we have a minute left. (laughs) Although all the the minutes that we spent, um, you can't do a one-minute review, but what would you want to leave as your final comment today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, first off, thanks for having me here. This has been great. Always enjoy being on with you. Uh, I think, yeah, we have covered a lot and a lot of it comes back to you know, traditional versus Roth, whether we're talking about TSP or IRA. And you need to do some planning. Again, you you obviously need to look at your taxes right now, see what rate you're at. Uh, but then you need to look through, what, are, what am I going to have coming in in retirement? What am I going to have to take out of my TSP or IRAs? What is that going to look like? Uh, and do some tax planning as far as where you are now and where you'll be in retirement. Again, we don't know how rates will change, but if they were the same, Would you be better off with your money going into a traditional TSP today versus Roth? uh, And kind of use that as a baseline for some of your decision-making, as well as considering conversions and things like that.
1: All right. Andrew says the baseline is over. You you guys got to stop talking. Thanks for coming, Brian. Listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEFA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.